Joshua. A lot I want to try to cover in here. But Joshua chapter 7, this is a chapter I remember just as a kid uh, reading this chapter and being very bothered by it. And you know what? This story still bothers me. I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Uh, when we read about Achan and his even his sons and his daughters being stoned, I was that was tough for me. I remember as a kid reading that. I remember talking to my dad about it. I'm like, this just doesn't seem right, you know. And and you know, my dad, he's like, you know, just you know, God knows what he's doing. We just got to trust him on these things. And and you know, and I remember, you know, as a young kid, just I was just like, you know, this doesn't seem right to me. But if God says it is, then it is. You know, that was just kind of my thought. And you know, and I'm gonna, I'm not going to pretend I completely understand everything about this. But I think tonight I'll show you some things that will help you understand a little bit about it. And, you know, we'll realize that while this might sound really, really bad, actually, you know, us being softies in these things is probably actually a whole lot worse. But uh, another thing, too, just kind of a little teaser to make sure everybody stays paying attention. I'm also going to show you something else uh, from this chapter about Aiken that I don't think anybody's ever preached before. I think I discovered this. So it's probably not true. Uh, usually if you're preaching something that nobody's ever preached before, it's probably not true. But uh, I'm going to give you my opinion on something. I'm going to show you something I think is really interesting in here that uh, I'm pretty sure I discovered. So I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. And uh, you all, if you all think I'm crazy afterwards, that's fine. I might be wrong. I would probably assume that because, you know, if it's true, it's not new. If it's new, it's not true. So you know how that goes. But anyway, so that now I got your attention. Let's start going to verse 1. It says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now, why is God mad at all of Israel? Achan did it. This was just Achan that did it. The Lord says the children of Israel, children plural of Israel, committed a trespass. Why? Because Achan, singular, took of the accursed thing. So Israel gets credited for this sin, even though it was one man. So here's the big question that comes from that is, one, does God feel the same way when sins are committed in other countries today? Have you ever thought about that one? Anybody getting a little freaked out if that's the case? When you see all that's going on in our country? You know, and then the other question is, are we going to suffer by the hand of God as a result of the sins of others? Now, I could probably preach a whole message on this. This is a pretty complicated question. But let me give you, I think, a simple answer to a complicated issue. Okay? So first off, uh, no, I do not believe that we necessarily or that God credits the entire nation uh, for these things or at least us. Because notice in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And deliver just lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day for their unlawful deeds. So did God hold uh, Lot accountable for what the people of Sodom did? And you don't get any more wicked than Sodom and Gomorrah. But yet God still considered Lot a righteous man and Lot was actually spared the judgment that came on that city. And God pulled him out of there. And so this was in Old Testament dispensation we see that kind of thing going on, and I believe it's the same thing today. I don't believe God is looking at any of us as individuals and saying, you know, 
somebody in this country did some perverted act, you're in trouble. God is not doing that with us today. Okay? But, here's another thing that's different today. God does not have a physical nation with a physical land like Israel anymore. Okay? And we can maintain our righteous status with God even in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And so, Philippians 2.14, Do all things not murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Are we not thankful that we're not all getting credited by what this country is doing? I thank God for that, that He still sees me as righteous. And as long as I'm not advancing these things, as long as I'm not promoting the wickedness, as long as I'm not participating in the wickedness, if we're speaking out against the wickedness that's going on in our country, you know what we're doing? We're shining as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And we are sons of God without rebuke. And that's what we ought to all shoot for. And as our country is just doing wickedness and as things are going bad, you know what? We need to separate ourselves from those things as much as we can. And thank God, you know, God's not looking at us and our standing with Him and just bringing all this judgment on our personal lives because of that. So, thank God that's not the case. It was There were some differences, though, with physical Israel. God was raising up a physical nation. This was the nation that the seed was going to come from. God was doing these things to preserve them as a people until the seed should come, that's not what we're doing today. We're a spiritual seed. We're a spiritual nation, so we don't have to worry about those things. So, But at the same time, okay, at the same time, while saying all that, there are certain physical principles that still apply. Because, because our nation does not deal with murderers the way it should, we are more likely to get murdered by a murderer. You're more likely to get molested by a sodomite because our country doesn't do what they should do. So the thing is, physically, we might suffer. Physically, you know, and on, on this earth, we have to deal with junk. We have to have a filthy sodomite with long painted fingernails hand you your food from a McDonald's drive-thru. And that's disturbing, and that happened today, and I, my wife got mad because I made a little bit of a scene, but he handed me this stuff, and I accidentally touched its nail. And then I was just like, oh, I touched that nail, and I, you know, I, I said something about it. And you know, and I forgot to sanitize my hands. I did wash my hands earlier, so hopefully I'm okay, but you know, I might have got a disease. I, I don't know. And you say, and so that, what am I doing? I'm suffering as a result of our nation being wicked and allowing filth like that to handle people's food. Okay? Remember that about McDonald's, folks. All right? you know, as long, if they're going to put freaks there like that, man, we need to find some place where there aren't freaks. And it's getting hard in this crooked and perverse nation. So, so understand, we, we may very well suffer. If our country is going to continue advancing the filth that it's, it's advancing then we might suffer here on this earth, but I'm thankful that we can still maintain our standing with God and we can have God on our side and you know, and He just may protect us, but we might not too. I mean, bad things can happen to Christians. 
We're not guaranteed to just coast through this life without any problems at all. So uh, spiritually, we can be safe and in good standing no matter what, no matter how bad our nation is. You can be in communist China and be in great standing with God and have a great relationship with God. But physically, not so much. Physically, we might suffer. And I, I, God can't protect us if He so chooses. But you know what? Sometimes, I was just having a conversation online about this, sometimes we might have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And that, work out your own salvation, is not your soul salvation. It's physical salvation. And you know what? We're getting to the time where we might have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. A lot of people right now, they're trying to figure out how they're going to work out their salvation from the vaccine they're trying to put on everybody. You know what? I mean, by all means, you know, hey, there's nothing wrong with trying to avoid those things. Nothing trying to you know, find a way around it. I don't even think there's anything wrong with finding a way to cheat the system. I mean, by all means, y'all find a good counterfeit. Uh, I'm not saying this thing's online. Talk to me after church about that. Uh, but anyway, don't want to don't want to reveal these things. So anyway, I don't want to I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that subject. But understand, this was a specific situation that is a little foreign to us today. And so this was Israel sinning. This was Israel sinning. And we'll, I think we'll understand why a little more as we go through this. So look at verse 2. It says, And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So notice these people, they're confident now, aren't they? After the Jericho battle, you know, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be pretty confident at this point. But, you know, they might have been a little cocky. Okay? And so uh, it says in verse 4, so there went up thither the people, about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. Okay? Now, does anybody notice anything missing in this battle plan? I mean, I know not a whole lot is said here, but I, in, in my opinion, I do think they kind of made a mistake here. Because, remember, the beginning of the chapter starts out that after that battle of Jericho, when they went through the city and they killed everybody, Achan took of the accursed thing during that time. Now it's time to go on to the next battle. Israel's in sin, but Israel doesn't know it. And something that we see missing here, I don't see Joshua consulting the Lord before they went to battle. Folks, in all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. Always acknowledge God on everything. That should just be our, our attitude on everything. But I think they were, they were just so excited. They're so confident. We don't see Joshua... Asking God to help. And you know what? Maybe if Joshua would have said a prayer or if Israel as a nation would have said a prayer like we talked about Sunday morning. I know David hadn't written it yet. Like, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my way. See if there be any wicked way in me. If Israel would have had a practice like that, I think God would have told him. I think God, I think God would have told Joshua. We see the kind of relationship they had. I think if Joshua went to the Lord and said, all right, Lord, are you ready? This battle looks like it's going to be easy, but I don't care how easy it looks. Are you going to be with me in this? Are you with us, Lord? And I believe God would have told him, you better not go right now. you got sin in the camp. And understand, it's our job. You know, it was, their, it was Israel's job 
to keep the sin out of the camp. That's why God gave them that law. They're supposed to enforce these things. They're supposed to be watching these things. God wasn't supposed to just, you know, have to supernaturally intervene in every little thing and give some sign, kind of sign. They were supposed to be obedient as a people. And when they, and so I personally think he should have uh, went to the Lord. And I'm not trying to claim fault where the Bible doesn't. The Bible does not specifically say he did not consult the Lord. But uh, at the same time, I tend to think if he would have, God would have told him. I, I, that's just what I believe. And so it says in verse 5, And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate, even to Shevarim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. They're acting like their parents now. Just, I mean, immediate panic. One thing goes bad. One battle's lost, and then their 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 hearts of the people melted. Okay, and for the for the hyper literal interpret, interpreters of the Bible, okay, use this verse when they want to do that. All right, I promise this is figurative. I don't think anybody's hearts melted; they would have died. Okay, so uh, keep that in mind. The Bible uses terms like that sometimes, and you know, if we ever get to where we think we don't need God, you know, you better believe God's going to remind us that you do real quick. We don't ever want to get so arrogant as a church because we got some things going for us. You know, we're doing, you know, things are good. God's blessing. And then all of a sudden we just make some big decision and we don't consult the Lord. We don't pray about it because, man, we're on a roll, man. We've been making one good decision after another. The Lord's been blessing. All these good things are happening. Uh, yeah, let's just do it. No, we should always consult the Lord on these things. We should always pray about these things. We've always got to keep him in the forefront of our mind and in all our ways we're acknowledging him so he can direct our paths because what we might not even think is a big deal, it might not be something God wants and he does think it's a big deal and he might let it just completely crash and burn on us and mess things up and derail things. Why? To get our focus back on him. Always got to keep that focus there. We don't ever want to get careless in this area. He is supposed to have the preeminence in all things. We met, When we fail to keep our eyes on him, we fail on the main thing. He is supposed to be the focal point of everything. It's not about the ministries. It's not about the numbers. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And we've always got to keep the focus. I don't care how, as a pastor, I need to be that way. It doesn't matter how happy all of you are. You know, what matters is how happy is Jesus? That's got to be the focus. We all need to keep that in our minds. So verse 6, And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us in the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Now he's sounding like the previous generation. They just used to say, we'd have been better off staying in Egypt. Now he's saying, we'd have been better off staying in the wilderness. Okay. As great as Joshua was, Joshua was not perfect. Joshua was not a perfect man. I think this is probably the worst. You know, we're seeing Joshua at his worst here. But you know what? He was still a great man. And we, you know, and uh, even the greatest have their bad days. And thank God he uses us anyway. But it says, uh, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs from before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth and what wilt thou do under thy great name? So, uh, as great as this man was, you know, this seems to me like he's being overly dramatic right here. 
You know, this seems like it is. It's it's pretty. He's being pretty dramatic, and I think the Lord would agree because it says in verse ten, and the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? So it seems like God's like, hey, this isn't time for that. Hey, you know, sometimes there is a time to get in our face before God. But this was not the time. Joshua loses one battle, and Joshua's throwing a big fit, just crying, Lord, what have you done? We should, let's go back to the wilderness. We're dead meat. We're all going to die. And I like how God said, why are you lying on your face? Get up. And parents, we've all said that to our kids at some point. When you tell them something, they throw a fit and acting like the world's ending. From something that's not a big deal. We've all seen that. And you know what? I think even us adults, spiritually, we do these things all the time too. We throw big fits to God. We lay in our face crying. Not in humility, but pouting. Throwing a fit. There's a difference. There is a time to lie in your face and lie prostrate before God. But there's another time when you're doing that and you're just throwing a temper tantrum. That is not, And it's not the same thing. So... It says um, in verse 11, Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed, from among you. And then Joshua said, But we are the chosen people. You will all we will always be the chosen people. No, not if you don't keep my covenant. It's another good verse that you can use right there for people that want to uh, bring those things up. Those promises that were made before, they all had conditions. And God said, I'm not going to be with you if you're going to keep the accursed thing in there. So uh, remember, another fact we gotta remember, God is raising up a physical nation where his seed was going to be born. So in order for them to survive as a people, they needed to be clean. They needed to remain clean as possible. Letting this man and his problems continue to live while this sin is there. Letting this man reproduce offspring would cause considerable long-term effects that would probably mean the death of thousands. Okay? Remember, God sees the end from the beginning. This guy is cursed. God can, God can look at a man and know what kind of children he's going to raise before he's raised those children. See, we can't see those things. We can't, we can't see that stuff. And so the thing is, too, we don't have the right to necessarily just pronounce some kind of judgment on somebody and, you know, trying to prevent you know all these horrible things happening in future generations. We don't have the ability to see that, but God does. And so when God would call for people like this to be put down, you better believe it was just, and it was probably going to save the lives of thousands. Remember, 36 innocent men have already died as a result of what Achan did. So we, we don't want to forget that. So Because remember, God sees the end from the beginning. So in verse 13, he says, Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Now, what we are about to see right here in this chapter, if you can just use your imagination a little bit, is I think probably the most intense altar call in all of history. 
I mean, literally, I, I've been in some pretty intense altar calls before where the preacher's up there and he just, the Holy Spirit's told him there's unsaved people or there's somebody that needs to get right with God and the invitation's being dragged out while they wait for that person to come forward and get right. Anybody ever been in a service like that before? Right? I, I've been in some, and it gets pretty intense sometimes. And y'all are just, you know, the whole time praying, but I hope it's not me, man. I hope it's not me. <laughs> you know? and, and, but imagine, okay, what we're seeing right here because Joshua is about to make an announcement to the whole congregation, hundreds of thousands of people. Somebody took of the accursed thing. Somebody's going to die. Somebody in their whole house is going to die. We lost 36 men because of what somebody did. And the Lord's going to reveal who did it. And so notice in verse 14, it says, And in the morning ye shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households. And the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. He and all that he hath because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So the entire congregation comes together. They're all divided up in their tribes. And so, and, and we don't know exactly how they did it. But God revealed it. So I don't know if Joshua just goes walking by the different tribes. And imagine you're standing there. And I hope it's not our tribe. You know, I hope it's not our tribe. You know, Even if you knew it wasn't you as an individual, you don't want to be in your tribe, do you? And so, you know, as he goes and he walks by the tribe of Benjamin... And he passed, you can just imagine the relief. All right. You know, and especially, too, you know, when these people are your family, too, because you don't want to be anybody in your family, even. And so, you know, just imagine the relief. But then all of a sudden, he gets to the tribe of Judah. And then Judah gets singled out. You know, so now 11 tribes just, you know, huge sigh of relief. All right, we're in the clear. But now it's really intense with the tribe of Judah. And it says in verse 16, So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And imagine, too, if it was something like this where, you know, all the Christians got together. And, you know, then there was about to be some big judgment that was going to come down on somebody, and then it was divided up by churches. And just imagine how you would feel, even if you knew you were innocent, if all of a sudden Liberty Baptist Church got picked. And, like, and, and you know, we don't want any of the people in our church to die. And so imagine how we'd all feel in this situation. And, you know, and then if, or, you know, if, if, if it got down to Baptist and then it was in Rock Falls and they're like, and as soon as they said first Baptist, someone would be like, Phew, yeah, all right, good. Yeah, we're in the clear. But that's kind of what's going on here. And so Judah's been singled out. And then it says, and he brought the family of Judah and took the family of the Zarhites, which he brought the family of the Zarhites, man by man. And Zabdi was taken. So it's getting narrowed down. Okay? Because remember, all the families too, you know, they kept very accurate records of the genealogies and things because those each of those groups are going to receive an inheritance. And their name was going to be somewhere on that land. And that land was going to stay in their family forever. So, you know, it's getting closer and closer. It's getting narrowed down more and more. And so, and here's something that's interesting. All right, here's the little thing that, I don't think anybody's ever preached this before, all right, that I discovered. Uh, and I, I, I could be overthinking this, all right, for sure. But 
What is interesting is the tribe that the seed, that it's possible that the tribe that the seed was going to come from, talking about Jesus Christ, was from the Zerhites. I think it's very possible Achan could have originally been the family that the line of Christ was going to come from. All right? And let me tell you why. Okay? Look at, go, turn over to Genesis chapter 38. All right, this is just some interesting facts that can just get us all thinking. This is just something you could just chew on a little bit because nothing is in the Bible by accident. Everything is there for a reason. And it's because, so remember in the genealogies, okay, when we have Abraham, he has two sons. It's the younger son that the seed comes from, right? And then Isaac has two sons. It's the younger son that the seed comes from. Okay, so it was that way with Abraham, Isaac, and then with Jacob. Okay, we have you know Judah. He ends up being the fourth, but uh, we went through the whole thing going through Genesis, how it went through all the uh, uh, how people kind of lost the inheritance and all that. But Judah is the one that ended up kind of being raised up as a leader. Reuben defiled his father's concubine. Simeon and Levi destroyed that city, and so Judah. Not the youngest, because you know Jacob had a bunch of sons, but one of the younger ones ended up rising up. So then Judah has two sons, and remember that's in the story of Tamar. Tamar, who is also a woman that's in the line of Christ. Remember she had twins, and it says in Genesis thirty-eight twenty-eight, and it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, "This came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand that behold his brother came out and she said how hast thou broken forth this breach be upon thee therefore his name was called Pharez and afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand and his name was called Zerah. So we've got an interesting thing here that where the Bible I mean really what's the point of even bringing this up? You know how a hand came out they did the scarlet thread and you know I mean, it shouldn't be that surprising. There might be something prophetically significant with the scarlet thread. We've got the scarlet cord, too, in the book of Joshua that Rahab the harlot put out. Rahab, who's also in the line of Christ. But it's almost as if Perez, there's like this battle between the two on which one's going to be the one the seed comes from. And it was like it was supposed to be Zerah, but Perez ends up kind of prevailing over him. And then Zerah ends up becoming the younger one, which according to the pattern should have kind of been the one, right, that uh, is kind of the chosen one. But this time it's now the older one because if you study the genealogies and you go through the line of Christ, it's Pharaohs uh, that the line came from. So, you know, why did the Bible put all this in here? You know, it would seem that Zerah was supposed to be that prophetic one. Like Zerah was supposed to be the one that the Messiah was going to come from, but Pharaoh's ended up prevailing over. Why? I think because of Achan's sin. Achan was right there in that line, and it's almost as if he messed it all up. This great sin that he did kind of caused him to lose that inheritance. He became accursed, cut off. So that's just my opinion. All right? I think it's very possible these things are connected, and that's why we see those things with Zara, but um, if you don't agree with that, that's fine. Probably wrong. 
it's, it's just my it's just my opinion but I don't know I just I've always found that story fascinating and I've I've always I've never really been able to wrap my mind about what's that significance of the, of the scarlet cord there because it's just it seems like an unnecessary detail for the Bible but at the same time when you connect the story of Achan who is from the Zarahites it's like that's you know it's almost like God knew what was going to happen because God did know what was going to happen so um, I think I think that's interesting. If nobody's ever preached that before, and if it's right, and it's something really deep and theological, and unlocks the secrets of the Bible, just remember who unlocked it. All right, but uh, if, if you understand something deeper that I even missed too, that'd be great. But I just thought I thought it was interesting. Some interesting food for thought, something to ponder. But anyway, uh, back to stuff that we know is true. Verse eighteen in Joshua seven, it says, "And he brought his household, man by man, and Achan." the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto him and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. So it appears that, and the Bible doesn't tell us, somehow Joshua knew it was him. Now, he may have said the same thing to everyone and Achan just confessed. I, you know, I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it's just like, how did he know? The Bible does not give us that detail. But it says in verse 20, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth, and in the midst of my tent, and silver under it. And so Achan, he totally comes clean. Just like you want to happen in an altar call, the guy comes forward and confesses all. all right? He spilled his guts out, uh, but it didn't end good for him, too. He still got in trouble. Thankfully, in the New Testament dispensation, we come to the altar call, we can get forgiveness. <laughs> but he didn't get it. He didn't get it on that day. And it says... Um, so Joshua sent messengers, and they ran under the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, and unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, on all that he had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stone him with stones and burn them with fire. And they had, uh, after they had stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. So, folks, this is just a horribly sad story, what ends up happening here. But, you know, it's not like Achan wasn't warned. It, Joshua 6.17, it says, And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, and she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that are sent, and ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed, when ye take of the accursed thing, 
and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. So God told them. I mean, they, Achan was specifically told. Now, here's, here's the thing we got to understand. You want to know what Achan's major sin was? This, this was Achan's biggest sin. You know, was it the coveting? He mentioned, I coveted them. That's one of the Ten Commandments, is it? isn't it? He stole. That's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? You know, he hid what he did. You know, he's, he, there's so many sins that he did, but you want to know the sin that led to all of those sins? You know what it was? It was unbelief. That's what it comes down to. It was unbelief. Because if he would have believed God when he said, if you take of the accursed thing, you will be an accursed thing like unto it. You know what he would have done? He wouldn't have taken it. You don't, you don't want to know why we often disobey? Because we just don't believe God. You want to know why a lot of people are going to go to hell? Because they don't believe that God will send them to hell, even though God told them that he would. And you know, we do. We all get mad because all, you know, all these people died because Achan didn't believe God. But we also believe people are going to go to hell for not believing God. It is a great sin to not believe God. God has told us about hell. God has told us about redemption. God has told us about what Jesus has done for us. And when you are told that, and then yet you still continue to just go on your merry way and ignore Jesus Christ because you love darkness rather than light because your deeds are evil, you're going to go to hell and it's your fault. And it's, a sad, it's still a sad story. It's still sad when people go to hell, but it's still your fault. And you, people can say, well, this, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. Why did his sons and his daughters have to die? Why do you have to do this? Well, you know what? Are we sure we want this kind of person who brings this kind of sin to Israel reproducing and bringing more of that? Because that's exactly what would have happened. And, you know, here's the thing, too. You might say that's not fair, but what about the 36 men who died in battle because of Achan? What about their wives? What about their kids? You know, we don't ask these questions. We're always so worried about, you know, showing grace to the bad guy. I mean, Christians are like that. Where you literally have a pervert pastor that abuses some little girl, some little boy in the church. And, oh, we got to show grace to him. But wait a minute. What about the child? What about the person that was hurt? You got all these hippies out there that want to protest uh, uh, an execution of some murderer. It's like, what about their family? Their loved one is dead. Why don't we show that family that we value their child's life or their loved one's life and let's take away the life of the one who took their life? Let's send a message to everybody in this country that we do. We care about the innocent, that we value, we value their lives. The, the, there is great suffering. Well, you know, it, it's, it's, what's done is done. They did it. You can't undo it. But you know what? You know what's going to go on? The suffering's still going to go on. The pain is still going to go on. The heartache from these people and you know now you've got 36 men who were looking forward to going into the promised land who were looking forward to receiving an inheritance and starting their lives in this land and all of it is taken away because of one man you know what their family and if they had children they shouldn't get to see they shouldn't have to live amongst the children of Achan who are going to receive inheritance among them that's just that's not fair to them and we all we, we always do we want to try to just signal our graciousness by focusing all this love and attention on bad people 
that we end up hurting other people as a result of it. And it is. It's demented. It's, it's a demented grace. It's a fake grace. And all it is is evil people trying to help their fellow evil man. And so what Achan did was it was a, it was a horrible thing. Sin is devastating and there are there's going to be so many consequences short and long term as a result in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 11 it says because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil when we don't deal with things quickly all it does is it creates opportunity for more sin and so the thing is one of the things too, one of the reasons I believe God made such a big example, and you know these are the things that uh, I think is kind of key things to understand when we see stuff like this in the Bible. Because here, when you look at this story, I mean, really taking a few items, you know, after uh, taking over a city and stealing them, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal compared to some of the things Israel did later, does it? I mean, don't we see Israel committing way worse sins later on, and yet it seems like everybody's getting off scot-free? Now, first off, Israel never got off scot-free. I mean, because we read about constant suffering in Israel. Okay, constant suffering in Israel. But at the same time, it was, it was a very common thing whenever God was starting something, whenever something was being established, that God would, I mean, make an example early on to show everyone he means business. When God first started giving that law of the Sabbath, uh, one of the things we see, somebody's out picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, what did they do? They stoned them. What are they doing? Showing everybody we mean business. As soon as they go and they fight this first battle, one guy doesn't follow the rules just right. What does God do? God makes the biggest example, kills him and the entire family, even though you and I would look at that and say it's not really that big of a deal. God was showing this is a big deal. In the early church, remember Ananias and Sapphira? Why don't people drop dead? You know, we, are we seeing people drop dead when they lie in church? No, preachers can get up in the pulpit and lie, and they don't drop. I, I know a pastor. Uh, there, there, you know, there's a there was a well-known pastor that like made some public thing about how he was going to sell some horse that he had that was real valuable, and he was going to give the money to the church, and he kept back part of the money. <laughs> and the thing is. Hey, it's yours to do with <laughs> as you please. But this guy, and, I, and, I'm, and, you know, and you know what? God didn't kill him. Now, he ended up getting disgraced for some other things, and he's not in the ministry anymore. But at the same time, it's like, you know, God shouldn't have to kill people every time. But you know what? We should look at that man with more disgust than we do Ananias and Sapphira. Because after God showed us how he feels about that, for a pastor... To with a preserved King James Bible to get up and to do something like that. It's like, what is wrong with you? Are you are you really? I mean, just that. You know, are are you wanting to die? I wouldn't do. I wouldn't want them to do something like that. I'd be afraid I'd die. Why? Because God God made an example, and so I do. I think that's one of the reasons we see things like this sometimes, where you have one story. It doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but yet it is a huge deal. And then other times you see things that are a lot worse and it's like nothing. But sometimes, too, God does. God sets the example to show he means business. But then when people continue to rebel, 
he lets them just kind of start getting away with things only for to bring the hammer down big time later. So that's just kind of how God's justice works. But so you and he said, you might think God should deal with things faster, but you know, maybe today God's just showing grace, which makes people a lot of times ends up making them more evil. Because you know what you're doing now? You're taking advantage of the grace of God. And a lot of times we and we do see where God does give people time in the Bible because He's given them space to repent. But you all realize if you do something bad, okay, you're in trouble, right? With God. But then if you do something bad and God is merciful, giving you space to repent, and you don't, you're you're in bigger trouble now, aren't you? You know, you're actually in bigger trouble. That should actually scare us more today. That wait a minute. I've done some things before. I've done some things similar to Ananias and Sapphira. You know, I've I transgressed in some areas and I haven't been punished yet. Well, you know why? Maybe God's giving you a chance to repent. Maybe God's giving you a chance to make it right. You know what? Maybe we should have an altar call right now. And say, so, you know what? Maybe some of you have done some things. Maybe some of you are right now are thinking about some things that you've done that you've kind of gotten away with. So you think, you know what? It's only a matter of time. God might just bring the hammer down on you for something that happened 10 years ago. Maybe God's been being gracious and merciful all this time, hoping that you'll, one of these days, you know, hear this sermon and get things right and repent. And you realize if you don't, you're in bigger trouble than originally. I would take advantage of these opportunities to repent. I would take advantage of these opportunities to get things right. And you know, we're not going to have an altar call right now and just get you all to just confess everything. I'm not going to do that right now because you know what? That's between you and God. We don't need to put a show on anything. But you know what? It's very possible. Some of us in here, we might have something like that that we should have got nailed for and we haven't because God's been merciful. So just realize you didn't get away with anything. You know what you are doing right now? You're getting yourself in bigger trouble. You're getting yourself in bigger trouble. You're heaping up judgment on yourself by not getting it right, by not confessing it, by not dealing with it. I highly recommend that you do that. So uh, don't take advantage of the grace of God. That's a major sin. So some of these stories in the Old Testament, they are, they are, they're hard to hear. But we need, we, we've just gotten so, we've gotten spoiled with grace. We've gotten spoiled with this face of repentance that God to, that God has given us. We've gotten spoiled with it to where we do. We just think people deserve to get off scot-free. That is not the case. Okay? We need to understand there are long-term effects for these things. We can't see them, but God can see them. And we've got to trust Him that He knows what He's doing. God knows what He's doing on these things. And so uh, trust Him and let... Joshua, you know, I hope when you read Joshua chapter 7, you're disturbed. This is a disturbing chapter, but you know what? Trust God and let it be an opportunity for you to just, you know, get your heart right. Make sure you have things taken care of in your life. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help. I pray you help all of us, Lord, to uh, search our hearts, Lord, and help us. If, if there's anyone in here thinking they've gotten away with anything, Lord, help us to realize We've not gotten away with anything, Lord. You've just been giving us mercy, and I pray we won't rack up any more judgment for ourselves, but we'll uh, get these things right. We'll take care of these things so we can uh, just be uh, better Christians and cleaner vessels, Lord. Whatever it is you need us to do, just help us to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Help us not to be 
make the mistake they did and just not consult you with uh, before going into this battle, Lord. Help us to acknowledge you and to make sure uh, everything's good in our life. In your name we pray. Amen.